0: War and Peace, Book 10, Chapter 7, read for LibriVox.org, by Eva Harnik. While this was taking place in Petersburg, the French had already passed Smolensk and were drawing nearer and nearer to Moscow. Napoleon's historian Tiers, like other of his historians, trying to justify his hero, says, that he was drawn to the walls of Moscow against his will. He is as right as other historians who look for the explanation of historic events in the will of one man. He is as right as the Russian historians who maintain that Napoleon was drawn to Moscow by the skill of the Russian commanders. Here, Besides the law of retrospection, which regards all the past as a preparation for events that subsequently occur, the law of reciprocity comes in, confusing the whole matter. A good chess player, having lost a game, is sincerely convinced that his loss resulted from a mistake he made, and looks for that mistake in the opening, but forgets that at each stage of the game there were similar mistakes and that none of his moves were perfect. He only notices the mistake to which he pays attention because his opponent took advantage of it. How much more complex than this is the game of war which occurs under certain limits of time and where it is not one will that manipulates the lifeless objects but everything results from innumerable conflicts of various wills. After Smolensk, Napoleon sought a battle beyond Doroguz at Vyazma and then at Tsarevo Zainitsche, but it happened that owing to a conjunction of innumerable circumstances, the Russians could not give battle till they reached Borodino, 70 miles from Moscow. From Miasma, Napoleon ordered a direct advance on Moscow. Moscow, la capitale Asiatic de ce grand empire, la ville sacrée des peuples d'Alexandre, Moscow, avec ses innumerables églises en forme de pagodes chinoises. Asteric Moscow, the Asiatic capital of this great empire, the sacred city of Alexander's people, Moscow with its innumerable churches shaped like Chinese pagodas. This Moscow gave Napoleon's imagination no rest. On the march from Vyazma to Tcharevo niche he rode his light bay bob tailed ambler, accompanied by his guards, his bodyguard, his pages, and aides de camp. Berthier, his chief of staff, dropped behind to question a Russian prisoner captured by the cavalry. Followed by Le Lang d'Edeville, an interpreter, he overtook Napoleon at a gallop and reined in his horse with an amused expression. Well, asked Napoleon, one of Platov's Cossacks says that Platov's corps is joining up with the main army and that Kutuzov has been appointed commander-in-chief. He is a very shrewd and garrulous fellow. Napoleon smiled and told them to give the Cossack a horse and bring the man to him. He wished to talk to him himself. Several adjutants galloped off, and an hour later Labrushka, the serf Denisov had handed over to Rostov, rode up to Napoleon, in an orderly jacket and on a French cavalry saddle with a merry and tipsy face. Napoleon told him to ride by his side and began questioning him. You are a Cossack. Yes, a Cossack, Your Honor. The Cossack, not knowing in what company he was, for Napoleon's plain appearance had nothing about it that would reveal to an oriental mind the presence of a monarch Talked with extreme familiarity of the incidents of the war, says Thiers, narrating this episode. In reality, Ladrushka, having got drunk the day before and left his master dinnerless, had been whipped and sent to the village in quest of chickens, where he engaged in looting till the French took him prisoner. Lavrushka was one of those coarse, bare-faced lackeys who have seen all sorts of things, consider it necessary to do everything in a mean and cunning way, are ready to render any sort of service to their master, and are keen at guessing their master's baser impulses, especially those prompted by vanity and pettiness. Finding himself in the company of Napoleon, whose identity he had easily and surely recognized, Lavrushka was not in the least abashed, but merely did his utmost to gain his new master's favor. He knew very well that this was Napoleon, but Napoleon's presence could no more intimidate him than Rostov's, or a sergeant major's with the rods would have done, for he had nothing that either the sergeant major or Napoleon could deprive him of. So he rattled on, telling all the gossip he had heard among the orderlies. Much of it true. But when Napoleon asked him whether the Russians thought they would beat Bonaparte or not, Larushka screwed up his eyes and considered. In this question, he saw subtle cunning, as men of his type see cunning in everything, so he frowned and did not answer immediately. It is like this, he said thoughtfully, if there is a battle soon, yours will win. That's right. But if three days pass, then after that, well, then, that same battle will not soon be over. de Ideville, smilingly interpreted this speech to Napoleon thus. If a battle takes place within the next three days, the French will win, but if later, God knows what will happen. Napoleon did not smile, though he was evidently in high good humor, and he ordered these words to be repeated. Lavrushka noticed this, and to entertain him further, pretending not to know who Napoleon was, added, We know that you have Bonaparte, and that he has beaten everybody in the world, but we are a different matter, without knowing why or how this bit of boastful patriotism slipped out at the end. The interpreter translated these words without the last phrase, and Bonaparte smiled. The young Cossack made his mighty interlocutor smile, Sestier. After riding a few paces in silence, Napoleon turned to Berthier and said he wished to see how the news that he was talking to the emperor himself to that very emperor who had written his immortally victorious name on the pyramids would affect this enfant du don, asterisk child of the don. The fact was accordingly conveyed to Lavrushka. Lavrushka, understanding that this was done to perplex him and that Napoleon expected him to be frightened, To gratify, his new masters promptly pretended to be astonished and awestruck, opened his eyes wide and assumed the expression he usually put on when taken to be whipped. As soon as Napoleon's interpreter had spoken, Sestiers, the Cossack, seized by amazement, did not utter another word, but rode on, his eyes fixed on the conqueror, whose fame had reached him across the steppes of the east. All his loquacity was suddenly arrested and replaced by a naive and silent feeling of admiration. Napoleon, after making the Cossack a present, had him set free like a bird restored to its native fields. Napoleon rode on, dreaming of the Moscow, that so appealed to his imagination, and the bird, restored to its native fields, galloped to our outposts, inventing on the way all that had not taken place, but that he meant to relate to his comrades. What had really taken place, he did not wish to relate, because it seemed to him not worth telling. He found the Cossacks, inquired for the regiment operating with flat of detachment, and by evening found his master, Nicholas Rostov, quartered at Yankovo. Rostov was just mounting to go for a ride around the neighboring villages with Ilyin. He let Labrushka have another horse and took him along with him. End of chapter 7 Recording by Eva Hanik, Pontevedra, Florida.